Welcome at the Growcast, the podcast of Blue City and Blue City Lab, in which we talk with eight Rotterdam-based pioneering biodesigners, our so-called pioneers, about how a future will look like if we design with nature as our guideline. We started this podcast to celebrate the opening of Blue City Lab, a biocircular playground for pioneers located in the heart of Blue City. We invited four frontrunners whose work will make us rethink everything we think we know and four aspiring biodesigners who want to challenge the status quo. My name is Barbara Vos and I'm Emma van der Leest. In this podcast we welcome Tim van Kolwijk and Brand Jackson of Spiro, a company producing fresh spirulina paste, a nutritious, vegan and sustainable ingredient used to fortify a wide variety of existing food products. In the Blue City cellars they grow spirulina in order to produce the healthy paste in and near the urban environment. Welcome both of you. It's, it's, it's something quite common, right? So what it is that you're using this natural product? Um, well, it's uh, not a lot of people have heard about it, and that's a bit strange because it's one of the oldest organisms that exist in the world right now. It's um, it's been around for three and a half billion years, and uh, it was earlier than uh, bacteria. Uh, so it, it it actually produced all the oxygen on the world um, to be able to uh, give life or, or make sure that other life could develop. Um, so in those billions of years, it's gotten more and more efficient and efficient and efficient, and it hasn't changed that much. And uh, because of this, we can um, there are tiny, tiny little strings, and you can see them with the naked eye. Um, and all they do is split and grow and split and grow and split and grow. So, so it's this miracle of nature. Uh, yeah, you could say that. It's like uh, it's uh, because it's one of the earliest organisms. It's also one of the most efficient, and um, because it's so efficient, it's very, very sustainable. Um, and because it's all the way on the bottom of the food chain, um, you don't waste any energy, any uh, nutrients uh, by growing it. And, and it's a very direct way of getting to all these nutrients. So we want to welcome you too. Uh, so we ask everyone how the current COVID crisis has affected their work. That's how we start. But I think if the crisis made one thing clear, it's how fundamentally wrong our current food system is. And now more than ever, we're pressed on the need to produce sustainable and healthy food for everyone locally, even if the resources are scarce. Uh, and Sparrow is an answer to that, isn't it? Tim, I'm asking you. Uh, yeah, yeah, the reactors that we're building right now are focusing on the, uh, our, our Dutch climate, which isn't ideal for these kind of organisms. Like the, um, the spirulina grows best around the equator, like at 30 degrees and a lot of sunlight. Uh, we don't have that many good days like that here, uh, so that's why we develop these reactors. And yeah, but uh, maybe before we start talking about reactors, because okay. it's still <laughs> it's so. What is uh, I have difficulty pronouncing it, uh, as you <laughs> you all know. What is uh, spirulina actually? So what can we use it for? Um, well, it's. Uh, when we get it out of our tanks, um, you get like a, um, a green paste, which doesn't have like a real uh, text uh, or I mean like a taste. So you can, or no smell at all. So you can you can just mix it in all kinds of foodstuffs that you like. But it's edible, right? Yeah, yeah. So you mix it in all the foodstuffs that you like and, and you make them more healthy, but also a lot more sustainable. I had it in my yogurt the other day. It's a bit weird because it's green. But it's yeah, it, it is really the the color is really really strong. The the um, fecosinin, the blue colorant, uh, and uh, and there's a lot of 
uh, green pigments as well. So the color is really strong. So whatever you mix it with, it will be green. But when you close your eyes, you won't be able to tell which one has this brilliant and which one hasn't. But it is still it. food, or yeah, yeah, it's a it's a food source, and um, and, and it exists this many billions millions of years, but in in nature, but you still produce it in tanks. Yeah, you, you can still grow it. Uh, it, it still grows in nature, uh, but then around the equator. Um, but because our climate isn't really suitable for that, we develop these tanks. Uh, to um, yeah, create this in, in, uh, perfect environment for it to grow. And, and why do you want to grow it? Um, well, because it grows really efficiently. So but but what what makes it this miracle? This this this. Why is it so important to grow? What was your idea about it? Well, I think the um, well the current food industry is is really inefficient. And uh, if you are to feed uh, 10 billion people. Um, You, you can't do that if everybody keeps eating steak. Um, you just need too much water and too much land to do that. And um, this way you can... I don't think uh, people should uh, like stop eating whatever they're eating right now. I think like there's a lot of enjoyment in food. And like I said, this, this uh, food source really doesn't have that much taste. And uh, I don't think the future is that everybody just eats uh, green mush and uh, without any taste or uh, forever. Uh, but I think it would be nice to supplement all existing foodstuffs with uh, these kind of products, and that way you uh, enrich them and uh, make sure that they uh, you can supplement or, or uh, other protein sources and still make let them taste uh, exactly like you want them to. So you, you lasagna would taste the, still yeah. taste like a lasagna, and you would still yogurt. get all the vitamins and yeah, yeah, even and more you, beyond. Yeah, you can go much further than that, and. Um, uh, yeah, the, again, the sustainability part. You save so much water and so much land by uh, changing out these different types of proteins. Because, Tim, a lot of our listeners probably know spirulina from from the shop then in a dried powder. And I must say, it doesn't smell very appealing. If no. you like fish, <laughs> definitely not. Um, <laughs> what is the difference between the spirulina we can buy in these Bio. Yeah, that's a that's a big difference. Like uh, that's the spring that's grown around the equator, uh, and it grows naturally, and it's uh, it's a lot easier. Um, but the problem is the shelf life is pretty limited, so they need to dry it, and uh, whenever you dry it, you lose some nutrients, uh, and then over time, you know, more nutrients get oxidized, so you lose even more, uh, and the taste gets affected pretty badly. So. Um, I've had a lot of people try it out. Uh, I have some in my uh, my lab as well downstairs, and uh, yeah, nobody likes it because it's it's it has a pretty bad taste. Uh, yeah. uh, and, and while the fresh pilina doesn't have that taste, so yeah. it makes it so much easier to mix it in all the existing foodstuffs. And you can also keep it in your fridge, right? Because you yeah. create these little bags, <clears throat> and I, want, I was one of the the happy. People that could test it, so I, I have it in my freezer, and I'll mix it through uh, a smoothie or uh, my yogurt in the morning. So yeah. you can keep that for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah we've been, uh, uh, yesterday I've been eating spirulina that was like four months old or something, and just from freezing it, and then you can just keep it a really long time. Yeah, and, and for our listeners, so still that, that's why I keep on going about what is it because I think uh, there's one group who knows exactly what. Uh, Spirulina is, it's so difficult, um, <laughs> but it's like the hashtag fit girls, you know, when people go yeah. to the gym and they work out and they've, they've known this, 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 this superfood. Yeah, this superfood for quite a long 
time, but they use it as an additive. How you say that, like something? Yeah, like a supplement. Supplement, yeah. yeah and I, I think but that's uh, that's that's not the that's not the best way to get an impact. I think it's it's much nicer if uh, we try to get Spirulina out of that superfood corner. Like it's it's one of the original uh, labeled superfoods. But I think everything can be a superfood if you uh, if you package it and, and market it in the right way. I don't think I don't really believe in that. And I think the potential of spirulina, the sustainability part especially, um, it, it's a bit of a waste to try to push it into some kind of niche and then sell it for a lot of money. I think it's it would be much nicer if we can make it into a staple food, like uh, like rice or potatoes, and then uh, just mix it in all kinds of foodstuffs, and it makes it more normal and and like potato starch or something. <coughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I have I have one thing because Tim, you are not a biologist. You studied industrial product design, right? Yeah, industrial design engineer. Yeah. So how did you start it? Growing spirulina, studying. Um, I first got I first got into contact with Spirulina uh, when I did my thesis. Uh, I wanted to do something with sustainability and something with um, well, uh, like third world countries or helping out people that need it. Uh, so I wrote my thesis uh, proposal to go to Indonesia, and then luckily TNO funded me and I went there. Um, it was a bit extra hard because I had to do uh, two theses at the same time, and so I had a lot of people that wanted to. Uh, or had to agree on my proposals. After a long time, that finally passed, and um, I wanted to try to get to um, uh, to find a way for people to grow this kind of stuff themselves, so they could feed their families and stuff uh, locally, and um, without needing uh, any uh, help from outside. Um, well, I actually I, I skipped your answer or your question <laughs> uh, because uh, I wanted to say that like um, I was doing my internship at TNO and then I got in contact with a guy who was really into algae and I've never never thought about that and that really fit into what I wanted to do with my thesis proposal. So that's when I I switched and I thought like well it might be good to f- learn a bit more about this and then I went to Indonesia and then I yeah uh, and that has myself. been quite some years ago yeah that's like seven years ago seven years ago and you're also one of the early pioneers pioneers here in blue city right because you started very small here a couple of years ago and now you know for the people who can't see or who are not here downstairs in the old cellars um the machine rooms of the former swimming pool tim has his uh uh yeah his lab um with big incubators looks very uh, futuristic uh, science fiction, but uh, the food of the future is being produced here. Yeah, they're your rice fields, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're we're like farmers with only uh, like 15 meters of land in uh, in the as a reactor volume is is not that big, but um, because they grow so efficiently, you can still produce quite a lot in the basement of a swimming complex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe it's good to introduce Brent here as well. Yeah, yeah because Brent uh, Jackson is also here with us, originally from New Zealand. He studied bioprocess engineering and biochemistry. And after that, he went to Australia and uh, he did a PhD on extracting oil from algae. And after that, he went back to New Zealand, but actually was looking for a job in Europe and moved here. And a mutual friend, uh, or a friend referred to Spiro, and that's how Brent ended up here working with Tim. And he's actually focused on optimizing the research to make the process more efficient. So, 
welcome Brent here with us. Um, good to have you here. Why did you start a collaboration with, with Tim and where did you meet? Uh, well, yeah, a friend of mine used to work with a friend of Tim's in the Netherlands and he referred me to Tim while I was still in New Zealand actually. And we had a, we had a couple of Skype calls and I think our values, we had similar values and it seemed like we'd be a good fit. So after I moved over here, we kept in contact, and then after a while, Tim decided to bring me on board. And how? Uh, what are the challenges to collaborate with Tim, who is an entrepreneur, designer, <laughs> uh, a Tim's visionary, really with somebody with a very yeah visionary uh, mind? Um, because you are focusing on on optimizing the whole process, but you're also building. For the people who don't know, Tim, they are really building their own bioreactor. So there's a lot of things happening downstairs. Um, how is the collaboration between you two? Do you divide tasks? Do you th do things together? Um, uh, yeah, well, I sort of try and focus on the research and optimization and sort of leave most of the design to Tim. But uh, yeah, when I do dabble in design, I usually find my ideas can be improved quite a lot because I don't really know what I'm doing. Like as a scientist, I'll see something which can be improved or be able to figure out what the problem is, but actually acting on that and designing a way around it, I think Tim's got a lot more experience with that. Which I, I disagree on that a bit. I think it's, it's for me at least, it's, it's really helpful to have somebody to bounce off ideas off and uh, yeah, to be able to get like a second opinion. And I think well, a lot of things that, that Brent suggests are really, really helpful. It's just a uh, different perspective. And you can, uh, by brainstorming with two people, <laughs> it's a lot better than brainstorming by, with one. So Yeah, because you have to develop an, a new type of language. We've, we talked about that earlier um, uh, with our other guests as well. Could you give an example, maybe? Yeah. Um, well, we, we're developing a harvesting machine now to get uh, spirulina out of the tank and then uh, filter out the water and then reuse that water and then pump, put it back and then uh, clean it and then put it back in the tank. Um, and that's uh, part of why it works so efficiently. You can keep reusing the water over and over and over again. Um, and the design of that harvesting machine is just... It, yeah, we, we don't really know what we're doing. Like you have to try something and then see what goes wrong and then try again and then see what goes wrong and then try again. And hopefully you get there, you get to some kind of point uh, where it's working. Um, and I think it, it works really well to, to be able to get to all those concepts uh, together and, and just uh, and, and save a lot of time by saying, okay, uh, we've got to this point and then I'll be able to tell Brent on, okay, uh, can you continue working on this and I'll do something else because there's, like Emma said, there's so many different things that we need to do. Um, so in that way, I think we, we just do stuff together and then divide task again and then come back together and then divide again. Um, and our benefit is that we are just uh, two people in one basement, so you can always just uh, <laughs> get in contact. <laughs> it's a quite short line. Very close so, to <laughs> yeah, we're actually sharing a desk, so it's, yeah. it's quite easy to, uh, to keep the line short. And as soon as you come up with something, just show it and then uh, get some feedback and then go on. So uh, that, that way... Because uh, Brent, you are, you've done your PhD on extracting oil from algae. Was that also for food or...? 
Uh, it was for fuel. Biofuels. Yeah, but uh, I was sort of designing the actual extraction process more, not not really concerned about the downstream separation and conversion into the into fuel, but more about getting the oil from from the algae. And mm. can we also produce a fuel from maybe a byproduct of Spiro? Well, you, you can produce carbohydrates from spirulina, but that's not what we're trying to do. No, you, so that's out of focus. Yeah, you run the reactor at different conditions and the composition of the algae is, is completely different. So it's at the moment it's better for us to try and get the protein content as high as we can. And yeah, that's our main goal, I think. Your main goal now. Why are designers important in your work? Why did you decide to work with Tim, for example? Because there are probably many more companies working on spirulina. We've, we talked about the powders. Why did you choose to, to work at Spiro? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you just had a good clear. Yeah, it was the basement, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there was just... It, it's sort of my area is a bit of a niche and Tim was looking for someone with my background and just fit really well, I think. It's Did it also change your perception as a, a scientist? Um, because here in Blue City we have a lot of entrepreneurs focusing on the blue economy, mm -hmm. uh, using waste, producing food locally, what Tim is doing. Yeah, how did it... Well, yeah, I, I've always been... Like a fan of sustainability. And my thesis, like I said, was on biofuel, like because fossil fuels are obviously really bad. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, working with Tim, like producing spirulina is is an alternative to other protein sources and reducing like water usage. And yeah, it's definitely a sustainable process. Which yeah, maybe if we go back. Tim, why does nature inspires your work? Um, or how? Or yeah, how? Yeah, I think I think the the what I think is very interesting, and that was also how it started. Uh, when I first heard about the potential of, of, of algae and spirulina and, and and all kinds of growth processes, it, it, I think it's really interesting to figure out that you can have a duplication time that's in in hours or minutes or days, and not uh, not in months and. and uh, like other protein sources, so... Um, like meat, for example. Like meat sources, yeah. Uh, even though they try as hard as they can, uh, you can never have like a, a chicken dupl <laughs> <laughs> like duplicate every day. Or, no? or, or a few times a day. So, um, Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, they're getting there and they, they, they do their best, but um, there's, there's like biological limits there. And... Um, with an, ethical limits, sorry. Yeah, also. Yeah, but they don't really take those that hard. I think. But um, uh, what I think is very interesting is, is working with an organism that has this potential and then trying to unleash that potential. And even we can even make like small mechanical tweaks and then get like 5% or 10% or 20% uh, more efficient. And that's for us, that's really important. But it's so easy if we build like the worst reactor, we'll still be able to save more than 90%. Of, of water and land compared to other protein sources. So that's like we are really into the 99 and then hopefully we can add more nines after that. But then every <laughs> nine we add is a 10 times more efficient step. So oh. it's it's uh, for us that's really important, but I think for most like if you look at it from 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 
another perspective. It's 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 all on the margins already. Um, yeah, I think that that's 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 really interesting because we uh, so this podcast and we talk with with um, eight different designers, but they all um, uh, want to show the world can be redesigned. But you really wanted to change the system, and you just dived and went full head in it. Yeah, yeah, and I have to confess, I, I didn't really know what I was starting on when I when <laughs> I started. I thought like, well, just do this, and it's like half a year thesis. Oh, I can, I think I can make something cool, and then started growing my living room, and then after one <laughs> or two years, the reactors got bigger and bigger, and then they got like 300 liters, so I had to get out yeah. of my living room and come <laughs> in here. And then even then, uh, you, I felt like, well, I'm already this deep in now, so we'll just keep going, and uh, that's like five years ago. So um, I'm really every, yeah. yeah every time you you take another step you think well maybe a few more months and then maybe a few yeah. more months and you get there and and slowly you get dragged into it and you think like well um, you've gotten especially when you look back you think like you can you can see how far you've gotten uh, but then uh, there's always more to do so uh. so at this point Tim because you're here for seven no five years. Yeah, I think Something. like four or five, five, I think. So if yeah. you take a look at the next five years, um, what are the biggest challenges uh, in ways of production? So how do we, what is the next step from here, from the swimming pool to feed the whole net of the yeah. Netherlands, for example? Um, I think it, the biggest concern now is demand, like making sure mm -hmm. that like uh, if you want to have an investor that invests multiple millions into your concept um, you don't you need to prove that there's a demand for those kind of volumes and to get to prove that there's a demand for those kind of volumes you need that product to show it so you can you can just have like people taste it in the street and they say do you like it and say yes but then they <laughs> you can't really use that as a backup to show here there's there's 200,000 people that want to eat it every day because That's, you, uh, in the past, I, I remember that you had contact with different supermarkets and, yeah. and companies, right, who were interested in your Yeah, uh, but then the, the, the issue is mostly they're either way too small, like it's individuals that are really interested and they say like, well, can you send me like 50 grams? And I say like, well, that, let's not do that because then we're, yeah. we're doing the opposite of what we wanted to do and you, you completely uh, degenerate your sustainability idea by just sending out packages all over. Yeah. Um, or they are way too big and they say like, okay, but then can we do like 50 tons a week or something like that? And uh, they, you need quite a lot of investment to be able to get to that supply. Or the, uh, and then um, for them, it's also quite easy to just pull the plug if it doesn't sell right in the first few weeks. So it's it's a pretty tough investment, I think. To uh, But I, I can imagine that, that your product, that um, so that people want to buy it like the, the powder on itself, but it actually is more interesting to see how you can collaborate with uh, like food businesses behind the scenes, like the 50-50 meat and uh, the vegetable yeah, exactly. uh, burger yeah. to, to work, to collaborate like that with spirulina as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I think it's uh, like... Uh, it's a bit. It's a big of a, a bit of a big step to for people to just buy a jar of of green uh, um, 
paste <laughs> in the yeah, in the supermarket paste. and then just mix it with whatever they like. I think it's better if it was like already incorporated in a lot of items that you find in the supermarket. Yeah, or that chefs, for example, start to work yeah. with it because yeah. I, if I can imagine, we have all these you know TV programs with. Yeah, that's that's part of your uh, your initial question about the corona, uh, how it impacted us. Like yeah. we were. We had a lot of meetings set up. Uh, we were st actually starting, we would be able to start producing uh, in March uh, and handing out samples and stuff like that. And then uh, all those meetings got cancelled. And now I think a lot of restaurants have other stuff on their mind than yeah. introducing new novel yeah. food products and stuff like that. They just want to survive now. So, um, yeah, that, that part, we were really into uh, yeah, reaching out and had collaborations with different chefs. But I think that's gotten more to the background right now and now we try to figure out our own product first yeah because i and and also on terms of impact for the mass so to say because you rather have like everybody buying your products than just a chef in a very fancy restaurant right mm -hmm. yeah because i think that the storytelling is also a very important aspect to that's, tell that's people. That's very true, but yeah. my idea was that the chef could be like a bridge. So a if, bridge, if some, yeah. some executive... Uh, like ambassador, right? Yeah, yeah. And if, and if people try it in a restaurant and they heard about it first and then they see it in the supermarket, then they yeah. might think, well, I already tried it first uh, once, so it's not that big of a step anymore. And I can also yeah. imagine that a paste is maybe harder to market than, for example, we've seen the seaweed burger and like alternative yeah. proteins again. Uh, I can imagine that, yeah, marketing your product is maybe more difficult. Is that is that true, or do you think? Yeah, most people just haven't never heard about it, so they have no clue what it is. And um, and then when you sell it as a like a, we were thinking uh, now we wanted to uh, develop a hummus and um, sell it as a, a prepackaged hummus. But then it's like dark green, so people have to think, well, okay, well, what's this? And it's like it, it takes like an extra step for people to to uh, yeah. to get to know it. And, and yeah, yeah, but still, um, when you talk about about food and working together with chefs, because uh, they are well before Corona, they were like the rock stars uh, nowadays. And um, um, and what you see now is the the transition in the in the food system that people want to know where their food comes from and also they want to know if they get in enough nutrition and uh, vitamins and everything. So that uh, therein lies uh, um, uh, like a well, a lot of opportunities for you. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think the, the there is like a clear shift towards yeah. uh, towards that, and and not just the health aspect, but also the sustainability aspect of it. Um, so I think the market is going in that good in a good direction that way. But still, it's a big hurdle. Yeah, but still, uh, just think of uh, if uh, McDonald's or something would incorporate your product in their hamburgers, they could say it's not it's sustainable, but also very healthy. You know, yeah. it would shift the complete focus on. Yeah, yeah, and that's also a bit tricky. Yeah, yeah it's also uh, like healthy. It's always it's always very debatable. So that's always very difficult to claim. You can also mm -hmm. put it in your milkshake, but that doesn't mean you should yeah. drink like ten liters of milkshake <laughs> every day. Yeah, so maybe uh, the reason so why I said <laughs> this is because you you developed it for. Uh, world hunger, you know, to, yeah. to to solve that that issue. But even if you look here in Rotterdam, we uh, there's uh, there are a lot of poor people here as well who don't have enough money, and, and the cheapest food isn't 
very it's fast nutritious. Food. Yeah, it's yeah. fast food. So yeah. and the, the nice part about spirulina is that it's not even that it has um, so many uh, total vitamin weight, but it's more like it has so many different types of nutrients. So um, even if you're feel healthy and there's there's a big chance that one or two of these boxes can be checked with a supplement of or mm. with one of these uh, uh, nutrients how much does it cost for this we'll, hummus uh, are you for example <laughs> if i want to if i yeah, want to buy also um, th those things are we we are really unsure of because it's it's really highly um, uh, dependable uh, dependent on the uh, production volume and right now we're producing at a very small scale So um, the biggest cost now is just, it, like I said, we are just two farmers with eight meters of land or, or 10 meters of land. So it's really hard to get that uh, um, break even. And that's why the price right now is, I think it's like 50 or 60 euros per kilo is the, um, is the actual price. But uh, if we were to scale it up um, tenfold, the actual cost would only go up maybe twice or three times. And how much so do you need a day? Just to, uh, for a healthy diet. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> oh, again, a very difficult question because it's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's completely different from from for everybody. Um, yeah. uh, like I always say, like if you get all the nutrients uh, that you need already in your body, you don't need anything. There's nothing in the world that's healthy for you at all, and it's better just to eat less. Then, <laughs> uh, so, uh, but there's people that are missing a lot and if you don't get any protein in your body uh, then you might want to eat a lot more than that so it's yeah there's not like a one golden rule it's like oh well just just eat five grams a day and you'll be fine yeah, yeah. because i yeah. also remember tim that we once a long time ago had a conversation about uh, the little jellies sometimes people get in hospitals to get a lot of proteins at, at once like a kind of desserts uh, and I remember you were saying that's also an option, you know, the whole, like, hospitals and elderly homes where yeah. people need to get a lot of vitamins. But is that still an idea? I can imagine now, you know, with the current crisis and a lot of people are getting ill, that they need to want to take something more natural than a pill yeah, or and, and any other all, supplement. Uh, it's all about your, your natural resistance. Like, if you if you have a healthy diet and you make sure that you get all everything you need from your food, then yep. you just have a higher resistance, so you're less likely to get sick. So uh, in that way, I think it's it's a very um, uh, cheap way of, of saving on uh, health care, is by making sure that people in hospitals and elderly homes are uh, uh, well-fed. At least, yeah. And, and right now, a lot of people, even in Dutch hospitals, are just underfed, and they're malnourished. Yeah. And uh, they, they, you pay, uh, you pay like hundreds of euros a day just to be there, and and they, they easily give you pills that are uh, like <laughs> cost a lot of money per pill, but just spending like one or two euro on, on food uh, yeah. might have a good impact as well. So if we make have, sure that you save a lot. If we have any listeners that are working in healthcare and are interested in Tim's products, you're of course very welcome uh, to contact us yeah. or Tim <laughs> if you're interested to uh, yeah invest in in this. I'm also we talked about it earlier, Tim. You're one of the the first people here in Blue City when it when it just started. Why did you choose to base your company here and maybe in Rotterdam? Mm. Well, I was still living in Delft at the moment, so it was nice that it was nearby. And then um, I, uh, when I just faced, uh, first came in here, um, it wasn't officially Blue City yet. Uh, and it was just uh, Mark and Siemens from Rotterdam just 
um, like uh, anti-crack renting out uh, <laughs> part squatting, of, uh, squatting, yeah, squatting, squatting in their uh, in, in, in uh, some rooms um, <laughs> and I got immediately got inspired by the building and by the people and, and the p- potential that uh, everything had and I thought like well just it's, it's a nice startup a start point because you already have some colleagues and I was by them like I spent like five or six years by myself in the basement here so uh, it's, it's always nice to have uh, like people around who are, are like-minded and, and share uh, uh, some common goals and can help you out because you all go like similar paths, even though you're working on something completely different. You still share some uh, some knowledge and yeah. in the beginning even some tools. You just need like uh, if you need a screwdriver and you spend half a day just going to a Baumarkt and then coming back <laughs> and then tightening it and then you find out oh you need another one with another uh, bit then you're you're not efficiently uh, spending your time. So that's I think it's it's also nice to be able to to, to share something and. Could you give an example of how you you work together here? Uh, yeah, we we just. Um, uh, our spirulina uh, consumes quite a lot of CO2. Uh, so we need a CO2 source to be able to feed our uh, spirulina. And it converts it into like the, the biomass and then uh, exhausts, uh, exhausts a lot of uh, uh, oxygen. Um, and the brewery here in the building, uh, they produce a lot of CO2 as a byproduct of their yeasting process. And uh, now we are working on uh, finding a way to uh, clean up that CO2 or that exhaust from their tanks um, and then storing it under pressure and then uh, we can just pump it in our reactors and convert it. And it's nice for us because we can get CO- free CO2 and for them it's nice because they can produce CO2 neutral beers. Wow. So, uh, yeah, and you're also very, your neighbors, right? Well, almost neighbors. Yeah, in, we can this, see them down the hallway. In this big <laughs> building. Like a, wave, yeah, yeah we, need a, we need like a, f- I think in total we need like 50 meters of pipe or something like that, just to get everything uh, hooked up. Wow. So it's not that much. And Tim, if you can dream about your future factory, where will that be and how would it look like? Um, I don't think I want to have one huge factory. I think it's nicer to, to have like uh, several production plants in in in, uh, in different cities, so you can keep the local production going. And and uh, I don't think you need to have like a, a a huge warehouse in the east and then transport all your spirulina to Amsterdam every morning. It's nicer just to have a, a production plant in Amsterdam. And because our production is so efficient, uh, we can produce a lot in one square meter, uh, like a hundred to a thousand times more than with traditional agriculture. So that's why we can just also grow in every basement or in every rooftop or in every... Yeah, It's also very interesting with the beer brewery, what you were just talking about, because in every every city almost has a beer brewer and you can close the loop locally. And especially a lot of new breweries or brewing beer became so popular that we have a lot of micro breweries, which I believe produce a bit more, less efficient. So, but here we showed uh, the opposite, that a small brewery can also be a source of uh, yeah, or provide sources for others. Yeah, and they reuse rainwater, and we think yeah. also thinking about reusing waste heat from them, so exchanging that as well, um, because the spirulina needs to be at 30 degrees, and the, the tanks are well as isolated, so you don't need that much energy, but it's still nice to get that for free as well, and then just exchange that. So everybody from New Zealand and Australia to Groningen and Maastricht <laughs> can... S- 
start is, right? Yeah. Or we can. Yeah. Um, I do think I do believe that there's like an optimal solution for every uh, area. So yeah. I, I, if anybody in Australia would contact me and say like, well, let's I want a reactor just like that. I would think like, well, it's probably better just to use the natural sunlight uh, and use your natural climate resources. But uh, for New Zealand, it might be very interesting because their the climate is very similar. Um, so there's 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 a lot of areas I think where our reactor would be very interesting. But I do believe that um, for areas like, especially around the equator, you need a completely different system, and that's also what we're doing right now. We're uh, co-developing a system on Curacao now. Um, uh, actually, uh, like uh, one of our uh, guys, or a, a guy that uh, we are partnering with, is actually on Cur in Curacao now and trying to uh, do some initial tests. So we uh, get some more uh, data and then figure out what an optimal reaction system would be for areas around the equator. And that's going to be um, much more uh, low cost and. Uh, uh, lower yields as well, but it doesn't matter that much because you have plenty of land and plenty of sun. Uh, so I hear a lot of opportunities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it keeps us busy. So collaboration with science and design or engineering is inevitable for a more, let's say, sustainable blue, uh, green future. How do you foresee the future of, let's say, biodesign in your work? Also, Brent, maybe you can start. Uh, it's better. At Spiro, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Or, yeah, or just the future in general. How do you, what is the, the value of your co creation uh, for the field and for the future? Yeah, I mean, we still have to scale the process up, which will have uh, its own challenges. And designing reactors for Curacao and other environments or climates is very different, utilizing sunlight instead of lead based technology. But, uh, I think we're always going to come across new problems which will require design and and science to tackle. Yeah. And do you, because you you talk about it like it's a normal thing, but I, I guess we have a lot of listeners who never really thought about it. You mm -hmm. can't work without each other, right? Because you need each other, you need each other's knowledge. You also need other people, maybe like engineers or other entrepreneurs or from the business field to accelerate but especially if we focus on science and design, um, yeah, do you think it's, how do you approach it from your science background? Because it's not like that every scientist collaborates with a designer, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's a lot more efficient because right? when we want to design something for the reactor, we can work together and you can bypass a lot of the hurdles which you might have if you're going to design something, build it, use it, find problems while using it, but we can sort of predict what might happen with the process if we know the organism and how it's going to grow. Yeah. So from that perspective, it's it's a lot quicker, more efficient and cheaper, I think. <laughs> yeah. And for you, Tim, of course, you also uh, said you were part of TNO or interned over there, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you started collaborating with science in a very early stage, um, and of course you can't work without a scientist like Brent, for example. 
Well, I think the for me, um, I like I'm, I'm much more practical. So uh, I like just to build stuff and test stuff and see where it goes. And um, I think that's uh, that's necessary uh, for like a lot of science just stays in the papers, and then people come up with a way to do something, and then they test it, and they think, well, it, it might be mostly the conclusion is well, this might be interesting and requires further research. And then hopefully somebody picks it up a few years later and think, well, this might be interesting and I'll do some more about that. And it stays in that theoretical field for quite a long time. Yeah, I, um, I've also seen that in my own work. Okay. Just open up the, the doors of the labs and start to um, collaborate with design. Yeah, yeah. To, I, I think that's, that's, that's what designers can bring. But on the other hand, I think also there's a lot of designers who just try something and they have no clue what they're doing, like, like I did as well uh, in the beginning. <laughs> And it will take a lot longer uh, if you just keep doing that by yourself. And and sometimes it's just better just to have somebody uh, that's a bit more organized and a bit more knowledgeable about how to do research to make sure that you don't draw your own wrong conclusions and then keep working on that for a few years. Uh, so, yeah, I think both, both uh, fields can really, really help each other in that way. Well, thank you. And uh, last but not least, could you, both of you, give us a word of, of advice from your perspective for some uh, like new talents who will join or, or come to the lab? Oh, um, or aspiring uh, designers or scientists yeah, maybe, or maybe building Maybe building on, on what I just said. I, I think it's important not to stay in your own bubble too long. Uh, just make sure that you just ask for help even though you think you don't need it. But it's just, it's uh, it's quite easy just to have a talk with somebody uh, like for half an hour and then learn more from that than just working by yourself for a few months. So uh, just, I think that's it. Just find corporations and uh, do that. And for you, Brent? Yeah, I, I agree with that. But also, if if you have an idea and you try it and it doesn't work, don't just give up. Figure out why it didn't work and what you can do to improve it. No. Trial and error. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're struggling with like the design side of it, get someone to help you design it and vice versa. Like If you're good at the design and you need help with the science, you just have to ask. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So well, you need a long uh, breath. For yeah, a long breath. I yeah. think. I think maybe just to to wrap up our conversation, yeah. um, we have many listeners, of course, probably from all around the world, <laughs> and we ask every guest here. Maybe you can give a short pitch of what you need, for example, to scale or or for implementation, and maybe more specific who you need to move forward. Is it a company or? investors or you name it a market so if you have a question for our audience you can Ooh, this, I think it's very difficult um, I think we've already covered quite a lot about that uh, earlier um, for me the, yeah, the, 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 the struggle with defining the or finding a balance between developing the technology and finding the market it's like a chicken and an egg thing. So you always think, well, I need to get... I always come from a point where I thought like, oh, I just need the technology. And then if it's all working, then uh, people want to buy it anyway, and that's fine. And then you you won't be able to go to any uh, restaurants if you don't have a product. <laughs> and um, if you don't have a product, you won't, you, you won't get investments if you don't show... Can, if you can show that nobody's 
want your product. So it's it's always a bit of a you know, uh, balance between those things. And right now we we just mostly focus on the technology part and our marketing uh, uh, research thing is really undeveloped so maybe it's, it's always nice to have people if, if they have suggestions about that or if they have so marketing is, is yeah marketing yeah. And, and, and and sales and guns those kind of things that mm. are really just yeah aliens to us like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do everything so maybe we have somebody who will, uh, who is interesting to uh, to help you out maybe a rock star chef you oh, never well, know yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, Tim and Brent, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, joining us and making time for this talk. Yeah, a big shout out to you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for having us. This Growcast was hosted by Barbara Vos and Emma van der Leest and produced by Blue City Lab. This podcast was realized with funding from the Municipality of Rotterdam and Creative Industries Fund NL and was edited by Puree Productions. We also want to give a shout out to Nienke Binnendijk, director of Blue City Lab and Sabine Biesheuvel, director of Blue City, and actually everyone else from the Blue City team for their trust and never-ending support. Until next time, thank you for listening.